0: I'm Cam, and this is the Nerdbook Review, and today we are going to be doing an author interview. I will get right to it here in just a minute, but let me do the normal telling you where you can reach us. You can reach me on Facebook, facebook.com slash nerdbookreview, on Gmail at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, and on Twitter at nerdbookreview as the handle. I hope that you enjoy this interview, and we'll get right to it. Thank you. Hi, this is Cameron from the Nerdbook Review, and today I am excited to welcome one Mr. Stephen Poor to the show. Mr. Poor is a two-time nominee for the British Fantasy Awards for his novels, Heir to the North, and its sequel to High King's Vengeance. He writes for Crystal Inc. Books, the science fiction and fantasy arm of Grimwald Books, which won the British Fantasy Award for Best Independent Publisher this year. Stephen, welcome, and is there anything else that we should be adding here?
1: Oh, um... I normally describe myself as an epic fantasist, uh, with all the jokes that that can entail, and also an SF socialist, because I uh, run the SF Socials here in Sheffield, um, over in South Yorkshire.
0: Yeah, and and let's talk about that then, right off the bat, since we have it there. Um, What is the uh, SF Social?
1: I don't know if you're familiar with something called the Super Relaxed Fantasy Club that um jen williams and den patrick set up a few years ago every month in london they get some authors together to host readings and uh just generally have a chat uh and i was always thinking oh no we could do with some of us up here in the north and i managed to bump into someone at one of the fantasy cons a few years ago uh, saying the same you know I wish we could do one of these in, in Sheffield. He, go, he says, wait a minute, just wait there a minute, goes away, comes back again and says, all right, Adrian will do one for you. I said, what? He says, Adrian Tchaikovsky, he'll do one for you. I said, hang on, I'm organising this now? <laughs> and that's how it started. I accidentally started a, uh, uh, a reading society.
0: That's, that's awesome, though. Did that actually like help you inspire the, the two novels that you have out so far? Or is that something that you actually worked on in that?
1: In, no, it's, um, it's entirely separate to that in some respects. It's, it's more about getting fans of fantasy and science fiction together in one place uh, and allowing them to meet other, other fans and authors as well. Um, it didn't really inspire the novels, but it's, it certainly helped in some respects uh, to get my name out there as well and to, and to get deeper into the genre. Well, that's cool.
0: Um, let's go ahead and uh, I guess get into a little bit of the detail. As you mentioned, you are from Sheffield, England. It seems like something that a lot of our uh, um, epic fantasy writers and the, the grim, dark ones as well that, that I uh, like to read are often from England what is it about England that uh inspires so many fantasy authors
1: oh we've got a massive history of fantasy um going way back into the you know right into the Arthurian um e- mythos um you've got Robin Hood you've got the like the rolling landscapes of the say the Peak District and Wales um that always inspire authors um I think it's it's there's a lot of that there. Um, there is, I mean, one one day I'd like to see, there there will be a documentary one day about like uh, the history of English fantasy. Um, I've, I've seen a guy trying to make it. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head now. But there's just so there's so much myth and legend being passed through and c- condensed into one little island or two little islands, if you count island as well. Um, but But you can't help but be taken in by it all, I think.
0: Yeah, and have you been into fantasy your entire life
1: then? For a lot of it, yeah, definitely. My uncle, basically, he he emigrated to South Africa and left three massive boxes full of books uh, behind, you know, just for me to read. Um, They were like loads of David Eddings, Raymond Feist, Asimov, um, Gordonard Dixon, a lot of the Golden Age and Silver Age science fiction. Um, there was loads of Michael Moorcock in there, and that went over my head at the time, sad to say. But, you know, that just, that just started me on. Um, and then, obviously, because I'm of a certain age where I actually got to see Star Wars in the cinemas. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> that should say a lot. Um, um because of that at that time we we ended up playing dungeons and dragons you know but that's that's the end of the story as far as it goes <laughs> once you get once you get those dice
0: <laughs> yeah 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 you know it's funny i've i've played uh dungeons and dragons a little bit i've never gotten uh super into it mostly because i just have never had a, a good group to, to play with i think uh i also i came up uh and in the area of uh, World of Warcraft, was, uh, I started playing that in college. So I guess that kind of was my version of that. You know, I spent my hours and hours playing, uh, playing a little WoW instead of the uh, board games.
1: Yeah, I'm a little too old for the kind of like the online gaming. Um, I have to say I do prefer sitting at a table and uh, just rolling with the dice with friends, a few beers around. How did you get into writing, actually? writing something I think I've always wanted to do but not really done properly until until somebody set up a writing group over here in Sheffield Uh, like you know just a little collective of like-minded people trying to just encourage each other and get along and uh, I went along to that and started reading out what I had and got some fairly harsh critic straight away you know you can't use those names. Those are silly names. That means bacon tree. Um, oh right, okay. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll change that definitely. Um, and it's again, it's moved on from there. It's been like ten years in the ten years in the making, I think. Yeah. So, so you
0: didn't start writing. What did you do? I guess most of your uh, adult life then before you actually were a writer.
1: Well, I, what I did and what I still do is work in retail. Uh, I'm pretty much um, full time working in shops, um, it's what I've, I have skills. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then
0: you, but you do also, um, do some stuff for the, the crystal link books, correct?
1: Um, on the side, yes, because, because it's a small press, uh, and because Sammy Blesser is, um, very busy with her own family as well. I've taken on a little bit of the, I put out like review, rec- 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 Sorry, I can't even get the words out now. <laughs> right. i put out review requests um for new releases and try just try and help out in that way as much as possible because it all reflects it reflects on the entire press. Um if you like one of the books you're more likely to buy another.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, this definitely made me look at uh, Crystal Link I- books um after seeing reading your book. And and they're oh, the science fiction fantasy arm of Grimbold books, correct?
1: That's right. There is a dark fiction um, and dark fairy tales on called Tenebris Books. They're not quite so active as Crystal Ink, but there's some very, very good stuff in there. Um, There's a couple of novellas by Francis Kay. uh, One's called Dolly Wagglers, and that is really dark. Um, If you read the sample on Amazon, if you're not hooked by the first paragraph, which I can't quote on a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> then there's no hope.
0: <laughs> All righty then. Uh, hey, real get, Let's get back to that. Uh, that the Sheffield. Uh, what is it? The SFSF stand for again? Sorry.
1: Uh, Sheffield Fantasy and Science Fiction. Suff stuff We oh. call it.
0: All righty. and that's where you um, you got into the writing is through that group.
1: Um. Well. That's a different side of it. This is this is my like publicizing. This is publicizing writers. The Sheffield writers, Sheffield SF writers, do have their own um, setup. Oh, okay.
0: I apologize. I was I was a little confused right. about that then. So no, it's all right. So what is the writing group that you um, went through and and worked on the um, the Air to the North with then?
1: That's that's the, well, There's a lot of the same people turn up to both things, but um, it's. It got set up by uh, science fiction writer, Ian Sayles, back in 2009, I think. And there's been about six, eight of us constantly through the last uh, 10 years and a few members dropping in and dropping out. And several of them have had their short stories published by, um, say, Fox Spirit Books, um, another another indie press in England here.
0: Okay, okay. I understand then. Um, yeah, I guess I was getting that and the, uh, the other, um, your publishing part stuff, of it.
1: stuff, yeah. yeah. It's, it's easy to do.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being understanding. The Sheffield, or the Petersburg Fantasy Con, which you just attended last weekend, are you involved in that as more than um, just like a nominated author, or uh, did you actually do some work with it?
1: I was on one panel. Um, we were talking about small presses, because obviously that's one of my big areas of interest. Um, and I did do a reading as well. Um, I was reading from a short story that's going to be upcoming in a, an anthology called Art of War, which Petros from Booknest is putting together.
0: So let's go ahead and um, can you tell me a little bit about your uh, the books, the Malasar's Curse universe? What were your inspirations and where is it going? Oh.
1: What's really inspired me, there's one book overall that's always inspired me to want to write and to write better. And that is The Barbed Coil by J.V. Jones. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is like a masterpiece of world building and of character building and of romance and of peril. And there's some really bleak stuff in there as well as some really exciting stuff as well. And I highly recommend everyone go out and buy it because it is just brilliant, and it is a standalone book. That's most important because she knew when to stop the story. <laughs> you want you want more, you want more and more of that, but um, it's just one rather thick book. And I, when it came to writing, I tried to write. Um, a different project but I had no idea of where it was going or how long it was going to be and it just ended up floundering and Malassar's curse came about because I could imagine how something would end and without getting too spoilery I knew exactly how it was going to end so I could work backwards from there and the, the entire structure of the two books and that is a complete story the two books together make up the entire story there um, it just came together like like that and took a while to write but that that made it so much easier to know where I was going
0: yeah and as far as you mentioning first the, the, the your influence and on on how well written you felt that other book was that is the thing that that stood out the most to me in your novel was just how well written it was. You can have a tendency sometimes to have a whole lot of useless uh, flowery language. I guess that's kind of the the trope you know of the of high fantasy, but yours is a it has the the high fantasy structure without having a bunch of uh, language that wasn't needed and it it's just so well written in my opinion.
1: Oh, thank you. I, I can actually thank my editor for that. Uh, I have a really really good editor. Uh, her name's Joanne Hall and she has her own books and I highly recommend them too because if you like Malasars curse you'll love what she does and and so and you did just,
0: just so I make sure so the, the two the two books are they do create a, a full series then
1: That's correct I am writing more in that universe set 20 years on um, but that that is an entire story in those two books so you don't have to make a massive commitment um you don't have to commit to a 10 book series or a, <laughs> or one that isn't finished yet that is an entire story yeah and, and i hope it's got a really satisfying ending as well
0: yeah and, and i haven't actually made it through the second book yet i just got the first <laughs> one done um that one thing about I doing, <laughs> yeah yeah that would be wonderful uh, that one thing with doing a podcast it can be hard to find time to read uh, uh books that aren't Definitely. part of the uh what you're doing for the pod so as we've said, the the heir to the north is a um, an epic fantasy series. You're gonna have some of the uh, the things that that you expect to have. Uh, there's a journey. <laughs> I think that's necessary. Oh, and oh yeah, you know, it's a
1: heck of a journey.
0: Yeah, it is. But you know what though, I felt like it it did move along, and there weren't. Sometimes you can get into a point where that journey um, just feels like it it bogs you down, and you get. Uh, have like the, that lull that can be hard to fight through and i didn't feel like i had that with yours what did you do to to keep that journey moving along and enter, entertaining the entire way
1: i cut out the entire middle book um, <laughs> 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 you see uh, if it had been a trilogy uh, i think it would have dragged my editor took out joanne took out a couple of chapters when it was dragging uh so if i would tried to extend it to three books i i think everyone would have got up and left by the end of the second book. Two books really is all that story needed.
0: So that's the secret then is... uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, write a trilogy and cut out the middle.
0: (laughs) There's the quote of the the pod. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then... One thing, um, I actually have noticed this uh, fairly often recently, but and I, I think you do a, a great job with it, of having a female protagonist. How did you uh, go about de- choose, deciding to have a, a female protagonist as a male author?
1: Um, it was interesting because I started trying to write um, Cassia, uh, the protagonist, as a boy, and it just didn't feel right. He was kind of boring and a little bit... Uh, just just a little bit dull and it just seemed to click a lot better when cassia became a woman and as far as writing real i don't know because you you tend to i think you tend to have to think of the character and what the character wants and what she wants most is to be a famous storyteller everything she does is to try and get around that, you know, to achieve the, you know, to witness the greatest feats in history and to be able to tell the stories afterwards. And that's what she's thinking about pretty much all of the time, apart from when she's thinking about um, Meredith, that is, but that's it rather than thinking of her as, you know, writing her as a girl, I was writing her as someone who really, really wants something, and I think that that made her a lot more, lot more rounded.
0: I guess one thing to make sure to add in there is that this isn't a um, she's not a female character whose sole goal is to find a man or to find love. That's not no. her um, objective in the slightest. As you said, no, not at all. Her, her entire objective and everything that that ends up happening around her and to her. Is because she wants to be that storyteller in a, in a in a you know in a land that where that's not something that uh is going to be easy for her or going to be easily accepted
1: that's right um so it's it's far easier you know there's, there's a lot of really good female characters um and again, I was riffing off the barbed coil because the female protagonist in that book is. You know, she's got her own agenda. She's she's not just fainting at the feet of men or anything like that. She she's she gets caught up in the story and caught up in the magic of the world, and is really instrumental in in how the story plays out. And you can't help but get caught up in how how that plays out.
0: Yeah, and that's I think that that's kind of where. Um like why I found her to be such an awesome, awesome character for me was that she doesn't necessarily, she's not trying to be the hero. I mean, in any way, like you said, she gets caught up in these events because of of her own, her own desires to be a storyteller, not to be, you know, a famous adventurer or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that made it, uh, made her a character that I really cared about. I do have one question for you, though. Go on. This is, I guess, the second book would be, probably talks about this, but does her father make an appearance in the second book?
1: It's probably not a spoiler, because you can tell that from the... Um... You can tell the answer from the Amazon sample, but yes, her father does make an appearance in the second book. <laughs> okay, uh,
0: th- this is just one of those r- r- funny little things to me. For some reason, his just abrupt departure—it it- it felt jarring <laughs> to me. And...
1: I did. I, I did wonder if anyone would remember that that um, that he was still there, that he hadn't gone yet. I mean, no spoilers, but the, again, but the the end of the book does kind of reach a point where you think, but hang on. If that means that, then surely Cassia's father... Oh, dear. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And that's something I guess we can't get too much more into without, uh, uh, you know, spoiling Without the,
1: really spoiling it.
0: Yeah. Now, um, we do have our... Uh, fantasy element the with with magic involved but would you consider this more of a a low magic as opposed to a high magic world
1: it's definitely low magic even i'm in this world magic is kind of reserved for the gods and their favored champions and for the warlocks and dragons and yes that's 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 probably not a spoiler there is a dragon um yeah. So it's 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 more it's a lot rarer in this world than in other fantasy worlds. You have either one of two,
0: and I, th- I think that the problem can be when people go too far to the middle, where magic is necessary for daily life, but it's still dark and mysterious. I kind of think you need it to either be dark and mysterious or generally accept it as a, just a part of the world and how the mechanics work. So I think that that, um, that you definitely have the, the mysterious path
1: down. I think, I've, I think you could probably do both, but only if everybody ignored the consequences of the magic, and that would make the magic kind of horrific in itself. It'd be an interesting one if someone could write that
0: yeah yeah and and like i said I, I don't know i can't think of a of an instance where it's been done uh and yeah. done well do you get involved with quite a few fantasy cons or is this something that uh like that with this one and and sheffield Does sheffield have its own
1: um i well part of me wishes there was a sheffield fantasy con um that would be a hell to organize <laughs> Um, I would probably go slightly mad um, because it'd be and it probably end up me being me organising it. There's, I, I think we're quite lucky over here in that there's a lot of conventions and as you pointed out yourself, we're we're quite easy to get around and get to. They're mostly in the second half of the year, so you get like lit in Derby. And it's seasonal variant, Sledge Lit at Christmas. You get Fantasy Con, wherever that pitches up. In the last few years, it's been in Nottingham, in York, in Scarborough by the Sea. Fantasy Con by the Sea, that was a great fun. And obviously this year in Peterborough. And there's also Bristol Con, um, which happens at the end of this month. And there's quite a few authors turning up for that this year. Um, including uh, America's very own Dirk Ashton, I think. Um, there's uh, Nine Worlds, which happens in London. So there's there's a lot. Um, it's I think we're very lucky to have such uh, a broad broad range of cons going on. I try to get to as many as I can, just 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 uh, as an attendee really, as a fan of other people's writing as much as a writer myself. It doesn't always happen because obviously uh, these things take money as well. Yeah.
0: But, but it is something that, that you enjoy doing then.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's nothing there's nothing like a convention. Um, you can you can really lose yourself in uh, just lose a whole day, not going to panels, but just chatting in the bar with people.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that I, I really really hope that I'm able to do here sometime in the next uh, year or two. Uh, having a, a two and a half year old makes it a little bit difficult.
1: It oh. does. I I can quite imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: he's at a, that bad age where he's
0: he's mobile, and he has his own opinions, but he can't actually he doesn't have rational thought yet. So
1: uh... <laughs> I'm forty five and I don't have rational thought yet either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, I like to think that uh, that I don't have a lot, but at least having a child has forced me to be like, well, I better have a little bit. So,
1: yeah, yeah, we we just have a cat, and that that's enough for us for us. So,
0: <laughs> um, what else would you like to talk about today? Um, we're we're just flying on so fast, it seems like.
1: Are we? I haven't noticed this. It's, it's, well, well, it's I, not going bad, is it? It's, no, no,
0: we're, uh, not, we're not even thirty minutes in yet. Feels like we've just talked about so much stuff already.
1: British Fantasy Awards. Oh yeah, yeah. Um,
0: the British Fantasy Awards were announced in Petersburg this year, but it sounded like they they move around. That's not somewhere where they're always at.
1: It's it's wherever the convention's at. So like like I said, like, uh, last year was Scarborough, year before Nottingham, and before that York, um, and before that it was it, they teamed up with World Fantasy Con in Brighton, I think. But yeah, it's it's part of the. British fantasy society's convention, which is FantasyCon, And, um, it's, it's fun. I they have a, they have a great big banquet, which, um, I get slightly scared of formal meals. So I just, I just tend to pitch up at the end of the banquet and you've got all these people in in the tables and it's, it's award ceremonies. They're they're very, very scary. Um, (laughs) And they have a little gallery at the back or a room at the back um, added on. So you can pretty much sit in the peanut gallery and watch the awards ceremony um, and watch all the people who have had the banquet at the same time, which is which is slightly surreal.
0: Heir to the North and The High King's Vengeance were both nominated,
1: correct? That's right. I, I got nominated for Best Newcomer last year, which, which I was absolutely astounded at. And that award went to Zen Cho for Sorcerer to the Crown. Um, That's a really good book. I enjoyed that. So it's not something I was kind of like, I felt cheated by. (laughs) I was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And this year, um, High King's Vengeance was up for Best Novel. And that's that's the top level award. And the rest of the shortlist was Joanne Hall, uh, The Summer Goddess, Adrian Tchaikovsky, uh Tiger and the Wolf. And Jen Williams, uh, for the final volume in her Copper Cat trilogy. And you know, that's just some level of awesome when you're when you're on a short list like that. You kinda of gotta pinch yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that has to uh, just be just have such feel such a sense of validation for what you're doing.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I mean you always get some kind of imposter syndrome and you sat there going, If I win, is everyone gonna boo? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does that has that helped your sales or uh getting you your name out there?
1: It's it's definitely helped getting the name out there. Um sales wise, I'm never going to be able to retire at the moment. I-, I can tell you that. But you know, there's 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 a bit of a boost. We actually got Sammy my publisher at uh, Grimbold, told me but um, we got a massive sales boost as just after the British fantasy awards from America of all places so it was uh, because we were announcing the uh, they list of the awards on tour.com and on file 770 I think that must have um, must have driven a few people our way which we're all grateful for. And
0: the nominations and the wins were were definitely uh, published all over the place here in the U.S. It, it's kind of funny. That it sounds like it was actually uh, more uh, well publicized in the U.S. than the U.K. Almost.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit odd. We've got a large genre scene, but not very many reports reports on it. Bit odd. No, Starburst Starburst magazine reported on it, and they may well have it in their next issue as well as online. So. Because Ed Fortune, uh, guy who writes for uh, writes for Starburst, uh, was a did some fine karaoke as well. Nice one, Ed. Um, <laughs> and of course, Grimbold Books actually won best independent press this year at Peace of which we've all been absolutely astounded at and overjoyed.
0: Yeah, and that that's something that'll that hopefully will get the name out more. And uh, how many authors do you guys have with a? Uh... The Crystal Ink and and Grimbold.
1: Um, For a a small press, there's a lot of us. There's there's at least 20 authors uh, working in all all different genres. Um, Plus, we've got Sophie Tallis, who has been contracted as an illustrator for Harper Voyager and Orbit, amongst others. Um, I don't know if you've seen uh, Anna Smith Sparks book or Anna Stevens' book.
0: You know, I haven't read either of them yet, but they're on my list okay. of books to read. Right.
1: When you when you get to them, um, the maps in the front of both of those books are by Sophie Tallis, who's one of our authors. And they are just astounding, hand-drawn and meticulously detailed.
0: It, it seems like there's been a, a real British invasion uh, this time <laughs> with books instead of music in the last few years.
1: <laughs> Definitely. There's R.J. Barker as well. Ed um,
0: McDonald, I think, with uh,
1: Ed hey, McDonald, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's
0: just it was a, a fantasy, and you know, I think that it's funny because here in the U.S., when I was growing up, fantasy was was most certainly like a side, uh, you know, a kind of a subgroup. That it wasn't the coolest thing to read. Even I, I, my just my dad wasn't always a big fan of me. He'd be like, "Oh, you're reading your nerd books again." <laughs> it's actually where I came up with the name the Nerd Book <laughs> Review because of that. Yeah. But I think that at once uh, the Lord of the Rings movies came out then and then we got into some of the YA stuff that here in the US, I feel like fantasy is, is right there in the mainstream and as big as a lot of other genres these days.
1: It's turned it around, hasn't it? I think Game of Thrones, has um, the TV series, has just pitched it right into the middle of culture uh, when you see what the budget is for each episode and you think, they're spending that much on epic fantasy nice one
0: yes and i've been very happy with game of thrones i read my i read a song of ice and fire when i was in college this would have been like 2002 or three so i've yeah. read, you know a good solid 15 years of waiting for uh, um the books to come and i at this point i just kind of feel like i'm just gonna take the 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 movies as my as what i'm gonna get and just be or the, the tv series and be happy with it
1: yeah, don't tell anyone but I haven't read book 5 yet. I, I just can't get there. <laughs> <laughs> hey. There's so much else to read. I <laughs> have to read all I'd have to read every all the other four first.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I know that's the thing. Um I, my wife, I, I she hasn't read a lot of the books recently that that I've done. I've had my other uh, other guests on or other co-hosts on instead because she had to start rereading a, a a book series that I made her do for the uh, the podcast itself and then I ended up losing her for a month because she rereads every single thing that she does, it seems like.
1: It's fair enough. I mean, rereading is still reading. Um, you can't complain over that, I suppose.
0: Oh, oh no. I, I only complain because that means that uh, I can't hardly get her to read <laughs> <laughs> what I want her to read for the podcast. <laughs> Purely, purely selfish reasons on this one. Yeah, let's get all of your uh, contacts, uh, social media, anything that you um, want to to have out there, all in one place.
1: Radio. Let's do that. Let's do that very thing. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen J. Poor, P. W. O. R. E. You can find me on Facebook at the Stephen Poor. Um. If you're looking for S-F-S-F Social, um, that's on Twitter at at S-F-S-F Social. Um, It's all what it does on the tin, actually. Um, And you can find Grimbold Books um, if you go on Twitter at Grimbold Books or at Crystal Inc. K-R-I-S-T-E-L-L-I-N-K. And... The other one is you'll probably want some links for the books. And if you go to bit.ly slash HTTN1US, that'll get you to the start.
0: Awesome. And do you have a blog? Uh, or is that the Sheffield SF? SF? Um,
1: I do have a blog. I don't actually put too much into it at the moment, but uh, you can you can follow me on the internet at it's stephenpoor.wordpress.com.
0: All right. Um, after this is done, I will have a short review. Um, I hope you guys will stick around. And Stephen, I appreciate you coming on today.
1: No worries. It's been a pleasure, Cameron. Thank nice you. to speak to you.
0: Thank you. Have a good one. All right, I hope you guys all enjoyed listening to the interview as much as I enjoyed recording it. Now I'm going to give you a quick and dirty review. We talked a little bit about the book already, so I won't go too crazy. Um, I want to thank the people who provided feedback for my first author interview, especially Danny from Book Geeks Uncompromised podcast and Rob from the Grim Tidings podcast for the feedback and advice they gave me. So, The Heir to the North is 426 paper pack pages long. It was published in 2015 by Crystal Inc. Books. It is the first book in the duology, The Malasar's Curse. It was nominated for the Best New Book last year for British Fantasy Awards. Uh, our protagonist is a girl named Kasha. As the story begins, she is with her worthless father, who is a storyteller in the North, in a land that is ruled by a southern empire called Halea. Uh, the North was once the power center before a wizard, for reasons we will find out by the end of the book, destroys this northern empire which was called Canthel. I probably butchered that name, but sorry. Uh, this all happened about 600 years ago, but there are still those in the North who wish for a return to their former glory. So, Kasha and her father, they run into a couple of men, one of whom is pretty clear from the beginning was a survivor of the destruction of Kenthel uh, 600 years ago. This is, is the man that's discussed in the prologue and within 10 pages of the book, so I'm not throwing out a spoiler that you wouldn't have found out immediately. They're going to go on like a Tolkien-esque quest to find the wizard who destroyed the North. Uh, as I said, though, and as he discussed, it's not going to be super crazy long and boring. We see this, uh, he uh, cut out some of that uh, that stuff in the middle. Um, it's your typical high fantasy story, uh, this time a girl who is poor and powerless and they're trying to find their place in this world. I have to admit that the high fantasy style of writing isn't my preferred story type these days, but I still really like this story. It has some twists and turns that I didn't see coming, and it doesn't succumb to that trope of girl finds boy, falls in love, and ends up on his arm while he does all of the heroic things. This is all about Kasia. It is also more of a modern-style high fantasy, so it doesn't have the bunch of useless flowery language to pad its stats. The 426 pages are fairly action-packed. I didn't end up having a point where I really felt like um, I had a huge lull that I had to fight through. I pretty well read this book and, and got, got through it just fine. First, going into it, uh, my critiques, the writing is stellar, and the editing is really, really amazing. I r- remember uh, thinking that specifically, as I read on Kindle, that it's one of the most error- free books um, I, I have read in quite some time in, in the ebook format. I don't really care all that much about the editing, as long as it's not horrible. These days, even some of the the big name, big five publishers are going to have their fair share of editing mistakes in the, the Kindle format. If so, that's something that bothers you. This one was exceptionally well done and uh, error free. Without getting too much into too many more of the details, I, I think that's about as far as I need to go for the actual uh to tell you about the book the girl goes on a long journey she obviously has some moral uh some moral uh, ambiguity that she'll run into and she's gonna be she's gonna find that most people who are in her life are disappointing in one way or another which is just how life tends to be all right getting into my normal uh how did it make us feel and all that good kind of stuff real quick i felt entertained I didn't feel like this was a super huge uh, moral story, or uh, didn't feel a tug on the moral heart stings in any uh, significant way. There uh, is very little cursing, uh, no sex scenes, and while clearly there's got to be violence, I mean, this is a high fantasy book. It wasn't uh, gratuitous, and it's not like a huge big deal. We discussed that it is a low fantasy world where the Wizards, there are very few of them left. There probably were never a ton in the first place, but that is an era that's mostly past. But the ones who are alive are, I mean, up to a thousand years old, and they just seem to be uh, basically, they're not immortal, but they're pretty darn hard to kill. They, they don't play like a, a play, have a place in day-to-day life for most people, though. It is a made-up world. Pretty easy to understand and follow, so that wasn't a big issue for me. The journey that they take is pretty easy. They go from the north to the south. That's that's basically the big the whole thing of it. So, getting into the uh, rating side of things, so as we're trying to move along here, I'm going to give this book a solid four-star rating. If I wasn't drowning in books to read for the podcast and author interviews, I would have picked up the second book right away. As it is, I'll certainly t- try to find time to fit it in at some point. I'd recommend it to anyone who likes the high fantasy novel. If you don't like that style, then this isn't going to be the book for you because this is a a true high fantasy novel in the uh, the way that, that you would expect it to be from the uh, the poor, unimportant person finding out that they have talents they never, they never knew they had. It's one of those kind of stories, you know? And there's going to be a journey like Tolkien had, only without all of the boring parts in the middle, so that's uh, that's not, I didn't consider that like something that I had to, to, to trudge through, and it's not going to be super flowery or anything like that. I think I got this review in a little bit tighter than the last review. I think that I still gave you enough information um, without going too long. If you guys think that I should go back and have a little bit longer review, or if I still could tighten things up, then go ahead and let me know. You can obviously get a hold of me. We've already mentioned at the beginning of this in the intro that you can tweet me at nerdbookreview. Get a hold of me on Facebook, on my page, facebook.com slash nerdbookreview, or email us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye.